teaching on worship, something that is close to the heart of every church, not least of Vineyard, if you know anything about Vineyard history, it has a bit of a reputation for, for worship. And so we fancy, we know a thing or two about it, but the reality is that I realize that I haven't taught about it for some several years, if not more. And so the teaching about worship, and if you've been following this series, you'll know that in the first week, we talked about our status. Uh, I asked the question, you know, are you a sinner, a slave, a servant, or a son? And if you want to uh, catch up on that, do check out our, our archive, our podcast, our website, and you can hear that too. Last week, we, we talked about the love language of heaven. And, and we said that service and sacrifice are, are actually the love language. It's what we give back to God. It's, it's part of our way of expressing our love. Now, this week, I want to talk about the call to worship. We, we kind of set the kind of playing field a little bit. And today, I want to throw out some thoughts there. Uh, and as I say, talk about the call to worship. Thank you, Mike. But anyway, essentially, when we're talking about the call to worship, what, I'm, what I am meaning here is, is really how do we respond to that need to worship? One of the premises of this teaching series is that we all worship, whether we're a follower of Jesus or, or whoever. There is within us a deep-seated need to worship, to give worth to something greater than ourselves. It can be a football team. It can be a celebrity, someone you admire. It can be a number of things. That is an expression of this deep-seated need within us to worship. And so what I'm going to do now in the next few minutes is just share some guidelines, a little bit of a manual, if you like, on, on things that will help you worship. Because I don't know about you, but I find that even though I've been a Christian for quite a while now, I find worship sometimes hard work. Yeah, if everything's going well and I'm driving to work whistling a happy song and the sun's around and the wee birds are flitting around, but you know, worship rises up within me. But actually, for many of us, we don't live our life in that happy place. And, and, and so how do we, how, what do we do? What can we, we prepare in order to help us to worship? And in fact, I'm going to go back to a psalm that we finished the psalm series on, Psalm 95. And I want to just draw out one or two thoughts from that, because in that we have a manual for worship. You know, uh, I, I tinker with cars a lot, and I still, even though I've been doing it for a long time too, instead of being a Christian, I've been tinkering with cars a long time, I still refer to my manual. Last Saturday, Cliff made a, uh, a birthday cake for our granddaughter, and uh, you know, my wife is a great baker, and when all the kids were at home, you know, she would be looking after four kids and, you know, you know, she'd be hoovering and doing the Bible study and everything, all at the same time, of course. And, and then she'd be doing some baking and she would just get the scale and she'd chuck some things and shove it in the, in the oven and something wonderful would come out. Well, last Saturday she cooked this birthday cake and it was quite a while since she'd done some baking. So the first thing she did, she, she went back to her recipe book. She's got this box of recipes and she couldn't quite remember the constituents and the amounts and things, so she needed to refresh herself, refresh her mind with the manual, the recipe book, about how to make that cake. Some of you have been worshippers of Jesus for many years. It's helpful to us to go back to the manual occasionally. Others of you are just beginning, and, and you're learning, if you like, the, the five steps or twelve steps of worship. What works? What others have found helpful? And so that's my, my heart's desire this morning to point to some things in a process that will help you encounter the living God in this thing we call worship. 
So let's look at Psalm 95 and get to that verses 1 to 7 and pick out a few thoughts there. Let's just read it through, first of all. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. There is something that is intentional about the act of worship. There's something that is unifying about the act of worship. And so the very first word in this psalm is come. Come. In fact, it occurs three times. Come. There's this invitation. And the invitation is not just a purely the psalm writer. But I genuinely believe there is an invitation that flows from the very throne of God to all of creation to come together in the glory and unity of worship. You know, he, here we worship in a particular style. In other churches, and of course the Pope is visiting, and, and, and some of you may have caught you know, on the news or watched it in its entirety today, and there's a sort of high mass. You know, the style of worship is very different. It may work for you, it may not work for you. But there is this invitation that flows from the, the throne of heaven to you personally, whoever you are, wherever you are, whether you're in this room or listening on the podcast. There is an invitation to you from none other than the Lord Most High to come into His presence and enjoy Him just as He enjoys you. That is an extraordinary thought. It's not the case, for example, like, like, like this, this is going to happen to a friend of yours may have been going to, to some concert and suddenly had a spare ticket and sort of sidled up and said, oh, I'm going to see, uh, you know, Barry Manilow. And I got a spare ticket. What are you doing on Saturday afternoon? I want to come, you know. It's all, you know, is there excitement there? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. It's not that you got remembered or, or somebody couldn't make it, so you got invited too. The invitation is from heart to heart from the Lord Most High to you and you and you and you. It's an invitation to you to worship. That's an extraordinary thought. An extraordinary thought. So come, that's the first thing. Be, recognize the invitation and be intentional about it. Come to worship. You're expected to come to worship having prepared yourself in some way. It also says, shout. the Lord saying, lift up your heads. Lift up your heads. Come, lift up your heads. I find that sometimes, you know, sometimes you'll hear me whistle and shout and holler and things like that. It's not that I'm sort of suddenly getting a, a taste of religion, but I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like I need to just shake something off. I don't know what it is. I just want to get dull-witted. And, uh, you know, have you ever got out of bed and sort of been stretching and walking around and suddenly go, oh, kind of like, wake up. Anybody ever done that? Okay, there are four, five, six. Anyone apart from six, seven, eight, nine? Thank you. Right. You know what I mean? It's kind of like you get up and you're all heads full of sleep and dreams and nightmares and goodness knows what. You know, it just the way you slept well and perhaps too well. But you get up and you kind of go, "Whoa!" Sometimes we need to do that in worship. You know, the psalm says, "Come on, shout!" You know, shake it off. Come on, give to God. Wake up. You know, 
give to God what is his. And there's this sense of sometimes, not always, needing to, to do that. Another little verse or another little expression that, that is, is kept as common in this psalm is to bow down and to kneel. Sometimes I, I thought as I scroll out, I did it this morning, none of us do, not very often I scroll out on the floor. I've never been embarrassed about doing that. It doesn't come easy. But I, I, it's, but for me, and it may not work for you, but for me it's all part of this kind of, I just want to break free of the cares and concerns and the heaviness and the joy and the excitement of my life. I want to give God His due. I want to be with Him now. I want to savor the moment. I want to be with Him and I want to see Him and worship Him and receive from Him. I want to be in the moment with Him. Get the sense that the intended it. Now in the old version it says, uh, it says, uh, come into His Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Come into his courts with praise. And, and I love that. I, I love that version. That's actually not in the today's New International Version, which they generally use in these days. But in the old version, it says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Come into his courts with praise. And you have many times heard me talk about thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is something that is a discipline. Living a grateful life, a thankful life, requires discipline. Because sometimes it's easy to say thank you if you've just sort of won a million pounds or inherited something or got the job or the girl or the house or the car or whatever it was you wanted. And wow, gratitude bubbles up. It's a natural response. But actually when we, we exercise that sacrifice, that service of the Lord of gratitude, what we're doing is we're, we're remembering that He is our Creator and we are His created beings. It's positioning us in the right way. And we, everything we have, every breath in my body, every breath I take, whatever my life circumstances are conditioned by, it's an opportunity to know Him, to respond to that invitation, and to enjoy Him. And I'm grateful for that. And I'm teaching myself. I'm training myself. I have been for nearly 30 years now training myself in this discipline of thanksgiving. I often say, and forgive me, because I know sometimes I repeat myself, but I often say, you know, it was Danny Bilge's job to give a talk with a counted lesson. Anybody ever heard that expression? Count, not, not so many, but the truth is that we should count our blessings. And, and, and the psalmist says here, there is a bit of a process. You know, if we begin with that discipline of thanksgiving as we come to worship, if we begin to reflect on God's goodness to us, there may be things that we want from Him that we simply have not received yet. There may be many unanswered prayers, there may be many questions, but there are things that we almost take for granted that are a gift from Him, and as we recall those blessings, as we thank Him for, for them, it begins to put us in a posture where we begin to lift up our heads, shake off the life and all it does to us, and look to Him as our Creator and our loving God. It's a great place to start in that process of worship. Do it corporately, reflecting for a moment or two before we all come together, or privately when you manage to snatch a few moments to wander on and spend a little time with the Lord. Begin with thanksgiving. Enter His gates, the gates of His city here. But there's a step beyond that. Enter His courts with praise. Begin to 
enjoy him, begin to savor and look for him, extol him. When you extol something, you, you do rather like I was doing when I was reading out of that psalm there. You, you, you speak of another in, 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 with great enthusiasm, with great delight. I, I often tell you stories about my wife. Now, not everybody can get to know my wife, but take it from me. She is one thick billion. She is wonderful. Yesterday we went to uh, down to Peterstone. I'm not sure any member here who are my staff here. And we're camping down there and going to a great big motoring festival for the Bridge of Revival. And, and you all get dressed up in old costumes. It's great. And we got dressed up in old costumes. And we just about to leave our house and head to Peter Down Church. And of course, you look gorgeous, newly married. And after 38 years, she hesitated in a disconcerting way, you know. <laughs> and it's well gone. very enthusiastic, but, but you know, I, I, I speak well of her, and I hope you speak well of your partners and spouses, but we speak well of God, part of our call to make Him known, and what I love about this is the psalmist in this little passage, I'm going to let Matt just put the verses up again, because I just want to focus on these for a, a moment or two, but, but the psalmist here gives us another sort of a reminder as to, as to why we, we do worship Him. Say we should worship in spirit and in truth. You know, worship when you feel like worshiping. Worship when you don't feel like worshiping. And there is a reason for that. Psalmist says to me, and Pat says to me, well, it's, you know, I'm not feeling like worshiping. Isn't it a bit false to worship God? No, because if that's your position, what you're doing is making worship subject to your feelings. But actually, when you extol someone, when you someone, when I speak well of my wife, it's not because of how I feel that day. It's about serving. It's about the true feeling. I might be feeling wonderful. I might be feeling absolute rubbish, but that doesn't affect true spiritual. It's spiritually true feeling. And the psalmist reminds us in Psalm 95 that we worship God not because of our status, our position, our feelings, or anything like that. We worship Him because of who He is. And the verses here, 95 verses 3 to 5, say this. Let's just read it out. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In His hand are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to Him. The sea is His, for He made it, and His hands formed the dry land. Now actually, this works for us, but not as well as it did for the, the, the Hebrews, the Jews, when they read this. Because the imagery that the, that the psalmist uses is dripping with important meaning to the Jews. For example, you know, the Lord is a great God, God above all gods. You know, he, he is the great God in a sea of gods. In a culture where the nations around them worship many gods. But the Jews believed in the one God, Yahweh, who was above all gods. Sometimes they looked at their neighbors and they felt that this lady was doing pretty well. Other times they looked at their neighbors and they thought, my goodness, they're doing great, they're doing rubbish, our harvest is terrible. 
On other occasions, they look at their neighbors and they feel threatened and they feel insecure and it seems that their God and the foreign nations seem more powerful than, than our God. And boy, we're in a queer place. But the psalmist reminds the people of God that the Lord God Yahweh is the God above all gods, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. And that is reason to worship Him. Do not be tempted to go astray to these other gods, these other interests, these distractions. Be here now. Worship God. Worship Christ. He goes on to say in this, and this I find interesting, he says, um, the sea, sorry, he says, the sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Now, many of you will understand this, but the land to the Jew at the time of this this psalm, these Davidic psalms, the land was, there was an extraordinary connection with the land. They had been a slave nation, but centuries before, God had given Abraham this land. And, and God had brought this slave nation out of Egypt into the land. This was their home. It still fuels the argument and the dissension and the problems in the Middle East to this day. This is our land. They had an extraordinary sense of connection with the land. I was listening to a radio program this week, and just a little report how the, the residents, the islanders of Tierra del Fuego, who were displaced when the military wanted to use the island, the U.S. Army, the U.S. Navy wanted to use it as a base, and that for reasons that I'm not aware of, they had to displace all the residents. And now there are people dying and they are wanting to be buried in their land. And there is a case going before the United Nations to allow people to be buried in their land. You know, in, in Hertfordshire, in the 21st century, it's kind of hard to really engage at that level. But that was the level here. And the psalmist is saying, he's, he's reminding the worshiper that the Lord God is the Lord of this land. This land you love and revere and feel such connection with. This place which represents security and safety and prosperity. He is the Lord of this land. Worship Him. So another external reason, another attribute, if you like. The other thing that's interesting too, he also says here, the sea is his, for he made it. The most terrifying thing, the thing that represented disorder and chaos, sometimes even you know, the powers of evil and, and demonic influence, was the sea. People feared the sea, and with good reason. And so that thing that you fear, that thing that is your greatest fear, that thing that is at the very root of your being, the, the subject of your night terrors, the psalmist says, he is the Lord of that too. Worship him. Worship him. I think we can begin to engage with that question. Worship him. So, the psalmist here gives objective reasons from his perspective why we should worship this God. So, there's elements of posture here. There's, you know, bowing, kneeling, whatever works for you. There's, there's, there's invitations to come. There's join together. Let's Let's sing together. Don't be a, a, an isolated, loose, uh, uh, an isolated Christian, you know, 
fit in your own life. Come together. Let's be together. Let's worship together. Let's experience together. There's, there's this whole sense of intimacy. You know, you are the son. There's this spirit of servanthood and, and sacrifice. There's, there's this whole business of, of actually coming and acknowledging who God is and whether you feel like it or not. All of these things are part of a recipe that makes real being here now work. And music helps us mark out worship. Things that aren't going to be here but that I have found work have been things like, yes, music, art. I, I'm no great artist, but Chris and I went on holiday and sometimes us too. We went off and gave a night out there and we were beginning to find art behind the music. We were in the Museum of Modern Art in San Francisco this year, just passing through the whole experimental moment with our late visiting there. I was almost in tears by some of the stuff. I was surprised. I didn't realize that art connected with me at such a, a deep level. I found it pro- profoundly moving. There's silence. Sometimes the greatest antidote to all of our stresses and our distractions is simply actually to turn everything off and sit quietly. Of course, nature, when you can get out and talk to nature, creation stirs us often to worship. Whatever works for you, all of these things are part of the recipe that can make up worship. And then, last but by no means least, increasingly, I find myself worshipping when I'm watching streaming video. I, I, I watch a movie and a blockbuster movie, this summer's blockbuster, and, and I find myself being engaged. I feel like the Lord is right next to me. And he's speaking to me, and I'm, I find myself stirred and moved and thought-provoked. And, and I find that fascinating. God is speaking in so many ways, not just through the poetry of the psalmist two, two and a half thousand years ago, but today there is that invitation to come and worship him. And if you will set your heart, Set your heart on a, on a lifetime of responding to God. You will find yourself engaging in all sorts of extraordinary ways. From the distractions, the quietness, to fill your spirit with quietness. And you'll find yourself saying, Sit back and enjoy the music this morning.